chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I thoroughly enjoy this chapter. I enjoyed this study. I hope you guys are as blessed by this as I was as going through this. We're going to do the first half of Genesis 2. Next week we'll do the second half. Because the second half deals with the creation of woman. And so I think it's important to make sure that we cover that thoroughly. For the first half here, we get more into the creation of uh, man and a little bit more detail about what's going on in the Garden of Eden. Really what happens here is the beginning of chapter 2 finishes up what we talked about last week. Last week was the six days of creation, and now we get into the seventh day of rest. Some people have looked at Genesis chapter 2, and they sometimes think it's called the second creation. That's not what it is. Genesis chapter 1 is really an overview of what happened. Genesis chapter 2 is really a zoomed-in detail on a couple different things, Garden of Eden and also the creation of man. So keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this. It's a zoomed-in perspective on certain days, and there's a lot of neat details in here. And like I said, I hope you're as blessed by this as I was as we went through this. So Genesis chapter 2, picking it up in verse 1, "...the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished." And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now this is something we know, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, this is supposed to be a day of rest. So what a wonderful, beautiful concept. I mean, look at this passage again in verses 2 and 3. God blessed this day, he sanctifies this day, he rests on this day. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, it's been said many times before, God did not rest because he was tired. God rests to set an example for us on what we do. Now, here's the problem with the Sabbath day. I heard a teaching about this years ago, and I've never forgot it. The pastor said, very simply put, he goes, If God said that we needed to take a day off a week to rest, how arrogant of us to think that we don't. And we run into people that think that they don't. I'm fine. Everything's going great. I can handle seven days a week with this or that. You know, you can't. You can't. You need that day to rest, to recoup, and just have that day of physical and spiritual rest. I think it's vitally important. We call it the Sabbath. Now, here's the problem with calling it the Sabbath. The Sabbath technically is sundown Friday, sundown Saturday. A lot of people nowadays consider Sunday the Sabbath. That's not the Sabbath. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. It's not really teaching that you need to take Sundays off. Now, I know some people take that very literally, very important, and they don't like working on Sundays because of the importance of church, etc. And I agree. I love having people here. But at the same time, we joke about this a lot. I'm thankful that certain people work on Sundays. I happen to work on Sundays. When you go out to eat after church, your waitress and the cook works on Sundays. And when you swing by Walmart on the way home to pick something up, they're working on Sundays too. So people do work on Sundays. I don't know what your Sabbath day is, but you need a day to physically, spiritually rest from the world and recruit and regroup. If you don't, it will affect you. And it will affect your wife, it will affect your husband, and it will affect your kids, and it will affect your family. It honestly will. God knows what he's talking about, and so when he says take a break, you better take a break. Now... What is the Sabbath for you? Once again, I don't know. For me, I usually take Fridays as a family day. And so what have we started doing here recently is shutting the phone off Thursday, Thursday evening, and then Friday. That's my Sabbath time. So if you call me Thursday evening or Friday, you're going to get my voicemail. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I am ignoring you. I love you guys. My family enjoys that day of family time. And my boys get so excited. Thursday evening is what we call candy night movie night. They get to stay up and watch a movie and have candy. Friday night, we all sleep on the couch. 
I don't enjoy it, but they enjoy it. So that's what we do. They look forward to that family day. So Thursday evening, I shut the phone off, and it's like, okay, Lord, we're just going to focus on the family here for this evening and the next day. That's a wonderful Sabbath rest. We thoroughly enjoy it. I encourage you to do that too. If you're not doing it, you're missing out on the blessing. Look at this one more time. I don't mean to push this so hard, but look at this. Verse 3. God blessed the seventh day. Very simple point in Christianity. If God blesses something, do it. If He says you're blessed by doing it, why would you not want to do it? If the Creator of the universe is saying, you will be blessed by taking a day to physically and spiritually rest and regroup, you will be blessed by it. Now, when you take your Sabbath day, you're not taking a rest from the things of the Lord. No, there's still time of being in prayer and in the Word, but you're taking just a physical rest to say, Lord, thank you for this day. What's the present day application? Just put down a couple verses here. First on in Mark 2, 27. This is a point we already made. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Meaning God said, I created this day of rest for you. Goes back to that point earlier in the message when that pastor said, how arrogant of us to think that we don't need a break. If you or somebody you know probably works seven days a week, you probably think they need a break. And they'd probably be blessed by having a break. Next one there in Colossians 2. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. You will run into some people that will have very strong opinions on when the Sabbath is and what you should be doing on that Sabbath. So there are some groups out there that teach that you should be doing church on Saturday. There are some people that teach and believe that you should not do anything on Sunday. Colossians 2.16, let no one judge you in your Sabbath. You need a Sabbath day. You need that day of rest. That's something that God created. Take it. Enjoy it. Let it be a blessing to you. We don't use the term Sabbath. Like I said, we use family day, and it's a blast. And we look forward to it. So that's the first thing. It ends creation. Six days of creation, one day of rest. God says, I'm going to bless this day. This day is important. Sanctified means set apart. It will bless you as well. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about the Sabbath day, the seventh day of creation, and the importance of it? Mark. So you were saying as a kid, things were closed on Sunday then. Was that what, 1890s, 1880s? I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing. I got the mic now. You got nothing. No, th- things have changed, obviously, from that perspective in, in many different ways. Yeah. Have the chance to worship. Yeah, it's right there on the doors when you walk in. And if you would stop and you think about it, how blessed would society be if there was a day like on Sunday where a lot of places just said, hey, we're going to close down. I mean, there's really not that much stuff. And I use the word need, not want. There's not that many things that you really need. Now, there may be times where you want it, but do you really need it? And I'm telling you right now, when I do a lot of marriage counseling with couples or just counseling with people, and they talk about how overrun they were, sometimes I ask them, "Was your Sabbath? Oh, I don't got time for a Sabbath. Oh, yeah, you do. God blesses it. God honors it. And you will be blessed by it. I can't tell you that enough. You'll be blessed by it. Yeah, Ryan.
I did not know that. That's an interesting tidbit of fact that Ryan was just saying back during French Revolution. They moved it to a 10-day week to try to get rid of that Sabbath idea. To me, that sounds utterly awful that now you work 10 days a week rather than seven. So I'm glad that didn't stick on. Anybody else have anything here about seventh-day Sabbath or rest or anything along that type of line? So I encourage you. Too often we have this very, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, Northwest Ohio German work ethic. I will work from sunup to sundown seven days a week. Well, you're not blessed by that. You're blessed by taking a day. Enjoy it and be blessed by it. Yes, Marlene. That's pretty neat. That, that is a really neat point there for that I didn't hear that. He would have to go into work at 11 at Salter's, but they didn't want them working on Sundays when, when the man was running it there. So he had him come in at midnight and paid him for that hour from 11 to 12. What a neat blessing. And I tell you this, and it goes back to this very simple point. When God says, I bless something, if you follow that path of blessing that God says, I bless, you're going to be blessed with that same blessing. So God said back in verse 3, I cannot stress this to you enough, he blessed the idea of a Sabbath. Boy, if he blessed it, honor it, and you will be blessed by it as well. You truly will. All right, anybody else got anything here on day 7? All right, let's move on and see what happens. Verse 4. Now we go back into this zoomed-in perspective that I was saying. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. What most people believe is there seems to be this idea here that until the time of Noah, that the way the earth was taken care of was this. Verse 6, this mist going up from the earth and watering the whole face of the ground. Now, we can't definitively say this, but that's the way it seems to be, because if you study out Noah here, when we get to Genesis chapter 6, this idea of rain coming is kind of a new concept, which is even more fascinating when you stop and you think about that Noah's building this boat for 120 years when people have not understood the concept of rain. It's even more of a step of faith than what Noah went through, and when we get to Genesis 6, we'll get into that a little bit more. But this gives us a glimpse A tiny glimpse into what the day-to-day life of Garden of Eden was like. There's almost this greenhouse effect, if you will, this mist that's going up. And what a neat thing this was. Now, this has led to much speculation, and I use that word, speculation. Some people have speculated this is also why people's ages back, they lived longer back during this time period, because the atmosphere of the earth was different than anything that we have today. It was a much different physical environment that we see, and you see that there in verses 5 and 6 fascinating thing to kind of look at and take a look at, but it was different than what we have today. Now, in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we have a little more detail on the creation of man. Verse 7, he's formed out of the dust of the ground. If you look at your sheets, I put this in here. The word Adam is really the word man. And the word Adam comes from the Hebrew word ground. And you can see it there in your sheet as Adam. And so you see these words being kind of connected together here. So Adam, meaning man, is really connected to ground as a constant reminder of Adam coming from the dirt. Now, 
That really keeps it in perspective. Imagine you walking around your life and everybody just calling you dirt. It reminds you of who you are, where you came from. There's no hierarchy here. There's no super pride. I am dirt. And I am dirt that God took and formed and made. And this is important. Verse 7, He breathed into me life. Now, when I believe in a literal six-day creation, and I believe in Genesis 2, verse 7, who am I to ever question God on anything? I am dirt that had life breathed into it by God himself. It reminds you of who you are. It reminds you of your very humble origins and beginnings. And then when the fall happens here in Genesis 3, which we're going to get to here in a little bit, look at verse 19 of Genesis 3. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Anytime I do a funeral and I do a graveside, one of the things I always say is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. From the ground we came, from the ground we returned, but from the ground those that believe in Christ shall rise again. It is a, a visual when you go to that graveside service and you see that idea of the coffin being put back into the ground, it's a reminder of where we came from. Once again, mankind, the top of the pecking order, we think we're everything. God is reminding us in Genesis chapter 2, you are dirt that was molded together by the hand of God, had life breathed into it by the hand of God. Who are we to question anything of God in any way whatsoever? See, I look at these verses here in verses 7 and 8, and I think, wow, Lord, you love me. You love dirt. You died for dirt. You gave grace and mercy to dirt. You have the Holy Spirit live inside of dirt. That's pretty cool. Howard. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good, what Howard was just saying. There's the different type of dirts there are. Yes, uh, I live in the Hoytville clay dirt. And, uh, you know, when that stuff gets dry in the middle of August, it's like falling on concrete. And if you look at it from that perspective of man, I've met some pretty hard guys. Actually, we're a bunch of Well, <laughs> speak for yourself on that one, Howard. I... I just thought I was a wonderful creation of God. I don't look at myself as a clod, but thank you. But there is a picture there. It's a humbleness. There really is a humbleness of what's going on. And I think that's important to remember because every now and then, probably more often than every now and then, I think I have a good idea and I try to tell the Lord what to do. I'm dirt. Or sometimes I get upset when God does something. And so I tell Him I'm upset. I'm dirt. I... I <laughs> I mean, none of you are going to walk outside today to your car and say, Oh, sorry, sorry, as you're walking on dirt. You don't care. It's nothing. For God to take dirt and make it something and to say, I will die for it. Wow. Love, grace, and mercy right there. Anybody else have anything here? On? Yeah, Jody. He's the first respiratory therapist. Wow. <laughs> Ron just said that's a stretch, Jody. But... That was a test question? It was that God was the first respiratory therapist. Wow, see, you can make the Bible say anything. Uh, no, just kidding. Yes, Howard. 
Have you made peace with your grandson? Okay. You kind of concerned me when you start out by saying I broke my grandson's heart. I don't know where you're going with that. So, Did you break his heart when he was 31? Okay, I'm just making sure. God loves dirt. Don't ever forget that. Now, we get a little bit more picture here into the Garden of Eden. Now, I will be honest. Verses 10 through 14... Is a little crazy, but we're going to read it here. Now, a river went out to Eden to the water of the garden. From there it parted and became four riverheads. So there was a river going through the Garden of Eden. The name of the first is uh, Pishon, and is one who skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedjalim and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and the one who goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekah, and is the one who goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, we stop and we read that and say, okay, we have no idea. Well, back when the Bible was written, this would have been a little more understandable when it came to those places. Now, in present-day society, we really only know about two of those rivers. We don't know. And there's a lot of speculation, and you'll see people spend way too much time trying to figure out what the Garden of Eden is, or was, I should say. It's not there anymore. I think we can move on past trying to find this place. But it really did exist. So you may stop and you say, well, why does God put verses 10 through 14 in there? I think God puts those verses in there to remind you that this was a literal, real place. This really wasn't. Here's this really real location. Do you know where this river is and this river is and this river and this river? Well, it was right in between all those. It was a real, literal, physical place. This was not some mythological beginning. There literally was a Garden of Eden. And the word Eden means pleasure or delight. It was a wonderful place to be. A wonderful place. But really, right in the middle of it, look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. That was Adam's job, was to be the caretaker of the Garden of Eden. Now, I've had people at this time stop and say, that does not sound like a place of delight or pleasure. This sounds like manual labor. No. Now, we have a garden in our backyard, and I would not ever call it pleasure or delight. In any way whatsoever. I don't take a joy in that. Dawn does. I know other people out here do. But to have a garden, it's a lot of work. Why is it a lot of work? Because, well, in just a couple weeks, Genesis 3, the land is cursed. Now imagine having an uncursed garden. Perfect soil. No weeds. No bugs. You, you basically plant and do nothing. God waters it. We've already talked about that. I will reiterate the fact there were no weeds, no bugs, no nothing. Now, that does not sound like work to me. That sounds like joy. That you could go out there and perfect soil. I mean, right now, as, as Howard was talking about Hoytville clay, we go out and try to plant something. You're breaking shovels, and I'm not exaggerating, trying to dig up the ground. Can you imagine going out with just a stick or your hand and having this perfect soil and just pushing it out of the way and dropping a seed in and covering it back up? That's not work. And then you come back and whatever it is, weeks, months later, and there's the most perfect produce you've ever seen. So when I see verse 15, I see Adam, and I think that sounds relaxing. I think that sounds nice. I think that sounds fun. Now, there's some present-day applications to this. How many of you would call the job you have right now delightful or pleasurable? Probably not many of you. Why? Because you look at work as a have-to. I have to go work to pay the bills, to do this, to do that. 
It is not a Garden of Eden. It's not a pleasurable thing. We have the wrong perspective. Jump down to the end of your sheets here. Look at this verse in Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. The mindset we're supposed to have with any type of job or work we do is, I'm doing this for Jesus. Now, I would like to tell you there was a success story at the Irvin House with this, and there was not. Monday for devotions, we did Colossians 3, 23-24. So that was the verse we did with the boys. And I asked them, I said, boys, if Jesus would come and say, go clean your room, what would you do? And they would say, we'd clean it. Boys, if Jesus said, go do this, what would you do? It We would do it. Now, I said, boys, what would you do if your mom said to do it? Well, I mean, you know how it went. So Tuesday, Dawn said, go clean your rooms. So, now, I'm a grace guy. I really am. But I can be the most legalistic guy you've ever met. It was 7.17. The boys were not working in any way whatsoever. Dawn was getting frustrated. They were not focused on their jobs. I went there and I said, guys, I'm giving you a half hour. 7.47. You need to have this room done. Both of them. Got to be 7.47. The room was not done. Life went on. They started getting distracted. And it was just complete, utter chaos. Finally, about an hour and a half later, they got the rooms cleaned up. So what happens is, I made it very clear to them right around 8 o'clock. This is what we normally do for a wind-down time, is we normally, a little after 8 o'clock, they get a chance to eat their snack. Uh, they get a chance to usually watch something, just something on, uh, like a movie to wind down a little bit. We do a time of prayer, and they go to bed. So I told them, you guys, if you don't work, you don't be diligent here. And we talked about the verse. If you don't get snack, you don't get to watch a movie, you can go right to bed. So I went outside, took care of some stuff, came back in. Now Dawn is the most legalistic person you've ever met. And she would not be bothered. She actually thinks that's a compliment. So I come back in, and they're eating and watching a movie. I said, Dawn, what are you doing? She goes, I forgot. She's got five kids. She forgot. I stopped the movie, and I did. I took their popcorn out of their hand, and I said, you guys are going to bed. Now, we got five kids. Two of them cried. The other two tried to argue with words. And I don't mean argue, but tried to debate. And I said, no, guys. You need to work as if working for the Lord, not for man. So they went to bed. Now, I, it, what happened is, the point of this is this. We know this. My boys knew this. Here was on Monday. If mom asked you to clean the room, what are you going to do? We're going to do it just like Jesus said. Tuesday, mom asks you, what do you do? You don't. So we read this right now, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Okay, Lord, when I go into work tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to work as if working for the Lord. And I'm going to do this verse says, I'm going to do it heartily. You're going to get in tomorrow, and your boss or somebody's going to make you do something you hate, and immediately you're going to go to the flesh. Immediately. God says that work for Him is a blessing. And so whatever job you have, it is a blessing to serve the Lord in that capacity, no matter what it is. And it's not just the job you get paid for. It's the job of taking care of your spouse, taking care of your kids, taking care of the possessions that God gave you at your house. It is a blessing to serve the Lord in that capacity. And the Garden of Eden is a glimpse into the blessing of serving the Lord in work. Adam would not have complained about verse 15. Well, I live in a cursed, fallen world, so therefore I'm allowed to complain about this. No. God says you do it heartily as if serving me and not man. The problem is, we start looking at our spouse, our kids, our boss, and we say, they don't deserve my full effort. The Lord is asking for your full effort, not them. We need to work heartily as the Lord. Because the Garden of Eden is a glimpse of what is to come. Jump back up real quick. 
There's this phrase that's constantly repeated in the New Testament, a shadow of things to come. You can look at the Hebrews 8.5 verse. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and got the ideas, the blueprints, if you will, for the temple, God gave him the blueprints. And he says in the book of Hebrews that it's a pattern of what's really up in heaven. We know from this verse in Colossians that this idea of the Sabbath is a shadow of something to come. So what we see here in the Garden of Eden is really a shadow of what heaven is going to be like. So often people come up to me and say, what are we going to do in heaven all day? We're going to work. Oh, it doesn't sound like fun to me. No, no, no. It's not the work that you think of. This is Genesis 2.15 work. So when we get to heaven and the Lord asks us to do something... It will be a blessing. It will be a joy. Problem is, we say, well, that's the joy of heaven. God also wants us to have that joy down here on earth. You may go tomorrow to work, and you may do the best you can, and you will get no credit for it, no pat on the back, and you may get chewed up and spit out. But you know your heavenly Father who created you, and you are just dirt, smiles down from heaven saying, thank you, child, for working heartily for me in a bad situation. Now, this is not a fun message, and there's a lot of times where I wish I could say the Bible says you're allowed to complain. It doesn't. Verse 23 and 24 of Colossians, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men. This is a perfect example in verse 15. God asked Adam to work. I looked that word up thinking it had a different meaning than work. No, it means work. What a blessing, though, to do that for the Lord. God says you can have the same blessing here today. It's a great example that God gave us and set for us. Anybody got any questions, comments here over anything that we've talked about here with the idea of work or day-to-day life in the Garden of Eden and how it's a picture of things to come? All righty. Well, what we're going to do here is we're going to close this up. Next week, we're going to start getting in verse 16 on. We're going to get into uh, the creation of woman next week. We're going to save verse 16 of this idea of tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're going to save that to chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, we have the fall of man. And a few years ago, we did some teachings out here in Genesis. And we just did three, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we said how everything you need to know about life is in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And it really is. Genesis 1, God has created you. Genesis 2, God has created this concept of family and marriage. Genesis 3, we completely screwed it up. Everything we need to know is in Genesis 1 and 2. So, right now through verse 15 of Genesis 2, it's looking pretty good. Once woman gets created, it goes downhill from there. But we'll get into that in a couple weeks. Anybody have any final questions, comments here on anything we covered in the first half of Genesis chapter 2? All right, let's pray and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, good to be here. Thankful for this time. Lord, thank you for loving just this pile of dirt. Lord, thank you for breathing life into us. Thank you for the plan and mission you gave us. Thank you for your creation. Lord, help us to have that heart and mindset of being blessed by a Sabbath's rest. Lord, thank you for having the heart and mindset of being blessed by being able to serve you, be it tonight or tomorrow, in whatever capacity you've called us. We get to serve you in that way. Help us to remember that. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In your name, amen. You guys have a good week, and God bless.